Welcome to the Scott Ross Discipleship Podcast. Scott has been discipling men and women for more than 20 years and is passionate about helping you grow into the full measure of the maturity of Christ. Grab your Bible, something to write with, and your favorite warm beverage, and let's listen as Scott takes us deeper in our walk with God. So, um, quick uh, question is just, you know, how, how's everybody doing with our study so far? Like, what's, uh, what's been on any, any, any discussion, anything on your mind? Yes, sir? All right, well, let's try to remedy that problem. Tell me, tell me what's the struggle or some of the challenges. Very simple-minded man. I understand. <laughs> okay. Let me encourage you. I'm the exact same way, but I find is even if I just have a glimpse of some things, I'm still... So the next time we do it... Got it. But I'm with you. I'm very simple. It's hard to go. get some nuggets out of it. It might be later he realizes, oh, we talked about that. Right. Well, I mean, I would just <clears throat> encourage you that. Um, hey, Jackie. Um, welcome. <laughs> Can I get you some water or coffee or anything like that? Okay, you're good. Okay. Let me encourage you that a lot of what we're doing right now is, um, I don't want to, to short sell it too much, but it, it is relatively academic. And what I'm saying is I, I want you to be conscientious of what the discussions are in the body of Christ around the subject of the Holy Spirit and be equipped to know why you believe what you believe. You know, do you... Um, <clears throat> because unfortunately, in modern, especially Western evangelicalism a lot of these decisions or a lot of these things we're talking about would even determine where you go to church because there's going to be a very stark dividing line amongst people around some of these things and you know you might be at work and meet somebody who says they're a Christian and they say well I go to church A or I go to church B and that conversation might go in a direction that sounds weird to you if you've never been exposed to some of these thoughts and ideas. So that's one thing is just trying to make sure that we have basic exposure, that we have a basic understanding of where the two, the positions kind of derive their ideas from. Like why is it that people think this versus this versus this? What's the scriptural ba- ba- basis? What's the historical basis? Like how did it show up? Um, because, by the way, a lot of what we do in theology is historical phenomenon. I mean, it's just like some guy just started saying something, and people are like, huh, what? I mean, that's been going on since literally Christ ascended. <laughs> so, um, and then different people get together and go, wait, let's huddle. <laughs> no, that's not how it works, or here's the scripture that says that's not. But by that time, that person might have gotten two or three people to go their direction. So we just have to be aware of that stuff. Um you know, the, the, the foundational uh, truths we covered right off the bat. The, if, if you understand that the Holy Spirit is 100% deity, that the Holy Spirit is a person, that the Holy Spirit empowers the believer for the sanctification process, then at that point you've gotten, I don't know, 90% of the 
essentials out of the way or maybe even 100% of the essentials out of the way. And at that point, we're talking about what we've discussed before, which is the non-essential aspects of the doctrine of pneumatology. Do you believe it's, you know, in a secondary work of grace, to use that phrase, do you believe that the gifts are to, for today, the miraculous gifts are for today? What do we think tongues really means? Does tongues mean a literal language? And is it always a literal language? Does it mean some sort of angelic prayer language where we speak to God in a way that edifies the believer but doesn't edify the body? What's going on with this whole translator needs to be present thing? You know, just like can help us figure out what to do with some of those passages like in 1 Corinthians 14 as an example. So, if it gets down in the weeds or seems academic or whatever, don't beat yourself up. That's my point, because as long as we keep the main thing the main thing, we're all going to be, be rock solid. We're going to be good. Any other specific questions or challenges that have arisen, discussions y'all have had since, you know, like after class, you're like, man, I really didn't understand that. question um, there one thing that we want to avoid is being formulaic and what I mean by that is coming up with these little little magic tricks where if I string these words together in this order it means that this good thing happens now I'm going to get directly to your question this may not directly sound like I'm answering your question but what happens a lot of times is people create these little ticks of the way they say it and they think that if they say it in that perfect way it means some magic things gonna take place and it's really a pagan idea that is derived from um, what we now call the law of attraction <clears throat> so I don't know if y'all have ever heard of the law of attraction but the law of attraction is very very popular in especially I mean, it's very popular in a lot of um, what might be called personal development circles. So, like, if you're if you know somebody who has ever been to a Tony Robbins seminar, or um, they even even stuff that's really positive, like they go to get sales training, you know, to learn sales skills or marketing skills, or like they might go to a real estate development seminar. People will sprinkle in this whole law of attraction thing anywhere in that kind of world. And I'm in that world a lot because of my leadership speaking stuff, so I hear this happen a lot. The other place it shows up a lot is in non-biblical counseling environments. And what the law of attraction basically says is that I'm, I'm, I'm going to not do it justice. If there was a law of attraction apologist right here, they would be really mad at me for this oversimplistic explanation. But essentially, that the natural universe, it um, vibrates in specific frequencies for specific energy types. And that if you will vibrate at the right frequency along with that 
energy type, it will bring that thing into your life. And then there's a connection to that that is this notion of the power of the tongue, that life and death are in the power of the tongue, and they uh, extract some biblical scripture out of context, and they put this biblical wrapper on this pagan New Age idea, and it's things like, you shouldn't ever say anything negative because that will cause you to vibrate negatively and it will bring negative things into your life. You should only speak positive things. And um, anyway, uh, you, you also like if you, if, you, if you can envision yourself as wealthy and you start vibrating at a wealth level, then wealth comes into your life. Or if you envision yourself as healthy and you speak health, Health can come into your life. This is the law of attraction. You attract things. The universe is Santa Claus and will give you all that you ever want if you just vibrate in the right way. Now, having... Okay, so... Yeah, not really. Not really. But what they do is... This gets back to what I'm... A, I'm I know I'm like... You asked me about praying to the Holy Spirit and I'm like way over here. Trust me, I'm coming back. Okay. I, I'll, get, I'll get to your question in one second. So what happens is, because it's about vibrating correctly and saying things correctly, there's these formulas for how you would say them in order to get the result. Well, we in Christianity sometimes do that, and we don't realize we're doing it. You know, like, if you pray these words in this way, then this positive thing takes place. And... We oftentimes will do that with, for instance, there is like people who are like, you should only pray in the name. That's a thing. Like you will go into church environments or into Christian environments and they'll be like, you should only be praying in the name. Well, what's they mean? They mean Jesus. And they have this whole theology that if you say Father or Holy Spirit, you've somehow broken the code and none of your prayers can come true because it wasn't in the name and so they create this formula so now contrast that with your thing hey we pray to the father pray the, to the son should we pray the holy spirit absolutely because the holy spirit is 100 percent god now there isn't a right and a wrong because if i'm praying to god and i happen to address him by one of the three persons in the godhead i'm still praying to god now, I will tell you, and again, this isn't formula, but I tend to pray to the person based on the role that they play in how the world works right now. So, for instance, I very frequently pray to the Holy Spirit when I'm sitting in front of someone and speaking to them about the gospel. Like, just yesterday, I was trying to get through the Vegas airport. There's one place open for food. It's this PGA grill or whatever in the terminal. I go in there. The only spot for person for one is at the bar. I go sit down at the bar. I'm asking, can I get a menu? Blah, blah, blah. And this guy just starts talking to me. And he's like, hey, I hope you don't mind me just talking to you. But man, I've just been here a long time. I, just, I need to talk to somebody. Well, I like start going, Lord, Holy Spirit, Please give me discernment on what's going on in this guy's life. Because the Holy Spirit can empower me to say 
the right thing to him. Now, obviously, I could have prayed that to the Father, or I could have prayed that to the Son. But I just, in those in, in situations, I tend to pray to the Holy Spirit specifically. Does that make sense? Because that's the Holy Spirit's role, is to empower the believer to speak in his name. Um, sometimes if I'm praying, you know, like when I'm overwhelmingly filled with gratitude, over, I'm thinking about the cross, I'm thinking about... Uh, you know what Christ did for me. I might be praying to Christ when I'm in a forest and I'm looking at the mountains. I might be praying to the Father. You know, I don't know. It's and again, it's not formulaic, but it's just like I kind of tend to. My brain will go to the personhood that has to do with the thing that I'm praying about. But yeah, I think there's no no reason you shouldn't pray to the Holy Spirit. Okay, wait. She had a question. It was such a stupid question. There's no stupid question. Mm-hmm. So is that what they're meaning by good vibes? Because my kids have asked me, and I don't think I gave the right answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could be. I mean, you know, a lot of people just they just say stuff. You know, we just have vernacular, you know, idioms in our culture, and I don't want to read. I don't. I remember that word this morning, idiom. Anyway. Yeah. So I don't. I don't want to. Like I try to be really fair with people. You know, um, people might just say, "Hey, man." sending good vibes your way or whatever, and I don't necessarily think, oh my gosh, there's a pagan right there, you know. <laughs> a new ageist is in our midst. You know, I don't think that. But, but you know, there was a film, you know, there's, there's a book, um, there's a book called The Secret, uh, and then there was a film called The Secret, and it's all this pseudoscience around vibration, you know, it, it's, I don't want to be really mean. It's it's nonsense. But, you know, it's like they have these people come on like, money, you know, vibrates at a molecular level at this frequency. I'm like, it's paper. <laughs> so does a tree vibrate at the exact same frequency? Why, why don't I just have forests show up in my yard? Like, if I, I, I'm, I'm going to be afraid of that. Like, I could be vibrating correctly, and I look out, and I'm just overwhelmed with forests. <laughs> You know? <laughs> well, I, I was thinking, like, I wonder if Sylvester's had. Anyway, ca- carry on. Okay. My brain's not good today. One thing you mentioned, like, the scripture of the, the tongue is the power of life and death. Mm-hmm. Like, if I just. Like, what, what's, the, what's the correct way to explain it as a Christian? Because, like,. Yeah, that's just what, what would you say? Yeah, so, I mean, one thing we always have to know is that the devil's biggest trick is to take the skin of the truth and stuff it with a lie. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, um, it, it, deception, this will sound obvious when I say it, but deception is deceptive. It's, it's by its nature not easy to recognize. That's why it's deception. And so the devil loves to take these things that have the skin of the truth and the law of attraction and this idea of the life and death and the power of the tongue. That's, um, that takes a true statement and it gives it a meaning that's not real. So, for instance, and I don't want to do this because I don't want to freak you out, but if there's a person standing there named Ralph, and I say, death to Ralph. That suddenly, my tongue didn't have the power to kill Ralph. Does that make sense? 
what life and death are in the power of the tongue is, is saying is, if I come to you, like I'm your boss, and every day I'm like, you're such a slacker. God, get, can you do something right? And I just walk off. And the next time, this report, did you, did you see this? And I just walk off. And every day, what is happening to you spiritually? You're dying. I'm beating you down, right? Versus if I come to you and I'm like, Steve, man, dude, you crushed that report, dude. Amazing. Thank you so much. Oh, hey, just by the way, just make sure you, like, they want us to check this stupid box, but you did a great job. Like, if I'm constantly edifying you, I'm building you up, right? I'm giving you life. This is the problem with the law of attraction is it is a true thing that if I have positive outlook on life, I tend to have a positive life. It's not about me vibrating and suddenly money's falling from the sky. But if I, you know, if I tend to expect good things to happen today, I'll end up finding good things happening today because our brains do that, right? But it's not a literal manifestation where there's this mythical universe that hands us presence because we speak the certain way. Does that make sense? Yeah, so like because I thought about like you know you, you pray and pray for things to, mm-hmm. to a point where like God I mm-hmm. like pray to them times already whatever mm-hmm. mm-hmm. right uh, and I know that when we pray to Him there's more of a relationship with Him but mm-hmm. when if, if I kind of pray to the to to that scripture mm-hmm. the more that I'm speaking when mm-hmm. I'm praying mm-hmm. that I mean that that that, that does what you, what the what what your example is doing, right? I mean, like, the, the, the more I'm praying for something, the more I'm going to focus on it, too. Here, and I, and I want to do... Could be. Yeah. I mean, you know, the theology of prayer is, like, there's so many aspects of prayer, and prayer is a mystery um, in a large degree. Uh, it, it doesn't really mm-hmm. make sense to us how God is 100% sovereign, and yet He has made it abundantly clear that He hears our, He wants our prayers, He hears our prayers, and He actually responds to our prayers. So, um, you know, we can get into, we could do a study on prayer, but when you're praying for something, uh, there's so many layers of what's happening. For sure, there's relationship building, but then there's also um, this notion of, are you growing through the process that you're praying? Because what ends up happening is in the sanctification process, we tend to see our desires mature and transform so that the kinds of things we pray for actually change. Does that make sense? So, I mean, I, I've been praying for a 911 GT3 for a long time. A long time. And I say it in the right vibration and everything. And I go outside every day, it is not there. That's not true. But there you go. Okay, anybody else? Yes. Okay, so um, in regards to praying, so you know whenever um, you go through and let's say you don't know what to pray or you don't know what you're experiencing, so you just start reading. Mm-hmm. And then you usually come to a point where the Lord just leads you to the to a situation that you're reading and it really sticks out to you. And it might have some truth in it, of course, but I mean regarding or relating to your situation. And so you're told to like stand on the promises that you're reading in that situation because all of the promises are true for all the way through time, past, present, and future. Mm-hmm. But how, how is that so? Because it could be true, but not necessarily for you, mm-hmm. right? 
Correct. Okay, I just wanted to make sure that I understood that right. Yeah, no, so, um, uh, I mean, this is a long conversation, but the, the biggest thing to know about when you're reading through Scripture is we do a, we tend to like to put ourselves into whatever we read. And that's why, like, I like to joke about the fact that, you know, we have, the, we have all these verses we like to put on the walls of our homes, and we, we really don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> you know, like, if we knew, we'd probably rip them off the wall. You know, like, the whole, I know the plans I have for you, plans to, you know, prosper you, not to destroy you, plans for a hope and a future. You know, we love that verse. Except that's God encouraging Israel right as they're being led in chains into Babylon. So if we're happy to also have the 70 years of bondage, I guess we should have the thing on our wall. But that verse is not for me. That verse was to those people. I have a plan for you. Don't. This is going to hurt. This, is, this discipline will hurt you. But I am still here. I am still on your side. I am still faithful. You're going to go through a lot, and you're going to come out the other side. Now, what ends up being for me is that a big part of that was the Messiah was a part of that process. And that applies to me. So when we, when it, and it's like, you know, stand on the promises, I think that that's a true thing, but it's make sure that you are doing that within context. Yes. Okay, any other pneumatology challenges, questions? I mean, this is good. We can talk about anything. Yes, sir. Yep. Um, and we've already identified that they're not core must 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 beliefs. Right. And I've been I've been thinking lately and trying to come up with the answer of why does God allow someone to have a false idea and believe it their whole life? Mm -hmm. Why can't he just zap them and say it's <laughs> not right? is there a I don't know if we. I don't know if we know the answer, but the only thing I think of is that God has a um, a purpose in someone believing wrong and can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. Or mm -hmm. do you have any thought on why? I mean, some people can look at Hebrews. I don't know this chapter and say you can lose your salvation. And someone yeah. looks at the same verse and says you can't. Yeah, Hebrews ten. They read. So those are mutually exclusive. One of them is wrong. Yeah. But God may use that person somehow. So I don't. I don't know the answer. Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I mean, to a, it's not the same question, but it's a similar question to how does God allow people to to sin? How does God allow evil? Right? And I think that. Um, there's, I think you hit on something, so I'll just agree with one thing, and then I'll come back to a, a separate thing. I do think that God not only can, but has used error to advance His purposes. Um, I don't think that if, and I'm, I'm presuming here, I don't want to speak for God, obviously, that's a very dangerous thing to do, but I, I don't think that if God could sit with us right now, one-on-one, -on -one and say, 
my preference would be for there to be error, he would say, no, that's not my preference. His preference would be for there to be no error, but in the same way that when Joseph's brothers threw him into the pit, God was able to turn that, God has used error. Like, I'll give you an example in my own life. Do you know how I ended up coming to Christ? I've told you all a little bit. I had a Mormon believer in the army who was relentless with me. And I just started reading the Bible because of that guy. And then I realized, okay, what they're talking about is really crazy, but this other stuff is true. <laughs> but that Mormon guy, God used as a spark to get me to engage, because I was like, I, he, was the only, he was the first person who would go toe-to-toe -to -toe with my atheism. All the other Christians I'd ever met, when I would give them like objection one, two, or three, it'd be like Pac-Man, like boo, 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 boo. They would just like fade away. And he's like, oh yeah? Do, do, do. I mean, he was ready. And I was like, okay, this is interesting. And so I actually went to the Mormon service on base with him. And uh, you have to get a little down in the weeds before you realize what Mormonism is really telling you because they do a great job of making it sound almost the same. But, um, but anyway, so that's just an example in my life of an error being used. I think that wh whether we agree with charismaticism or not theologically, I don't think there's any doubt that God has been able to use the charismatic movement to bring revival in places that had nothing going on because people just got more fired up than they'd ever been about spiritual things. And then what's happening is in a lot of those places, we're seeing maturation and some stuff is peeling back from that theology. So I think there's that. But I think the other thing is just the fact that, you know, God doesn't beat us over the stick, over the head with a stick. And it's like there's this notion of, you know, one of the most profound things I'm really learning spiritually as I get older is the power of simple obedience. Like, will I be obedient to the thing that is true? And if you just look at history and you look at the error, it was people who just, they knew but they still were disobedient for some personal reason, selfish reason, whether it was, you know, political gain, monetary gain, they were just embarrassed, like whatever, and they just kept holding the line of error. And at that point, it's like, okay, you're, you're unwilling to yield to what is true. You're unwilling, you know, to bow your knee to authority. There's the authority of Scripture. There's the authority of the church. If you want to go outside the safe confines of that authority structure, error is going to abound. And I think we see that. Like if you look at all the places where stuff peeled, it was because there was a, in many, many cases, it was I was unwilling to, to submit to authority. But, yeah, it's a great question. Um, and I think the key we've got to have right now, I mean, I, the, the church is under attack. Um, and, you know, basically the worldview of the Western world is completely under attack right now. It is shocking how quickly we are retracing our steps into places. I mean, I thought we, I thought we defeated things like communism, <laughs> and it's just insane. And so I think the church today has got 
to be unified. I mean, I bang this drum everywhere I go, everywhere I speak. I'm just like, unity, unity, unity. I mean, I'm just like hammering it because we just don't have the, we don't have the luxury now of being in these little infighting situations. Good question. Anything else? Mm-hmm. And I'm not as educated and as formed as I could be about the Mormon faith. And she's just so disturbed. Mommy, she thinks she's a Christian, but she's going to hell. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> when he was talking about fear this morning, I error to a fault on the fear of serving man and fear of offending others. Mm-hmm. You know, just, you know, what. How, how to train Abby to, she, she wants to know how to address it and I don't know how to equip her mm-hmm. that. so maybe one day yeah we could talk about that we, we definitely talk about some of the I mean you know we could do a whole study on cults we could do Mormon and Jehovah's Witness um, <laughs> what'd she what'd he say <laughs> yeah oh yeah Wow, we can do, we can do, we can do, we do a whole, we do. We can do, we can do a whole thing on the cults. But I mean, the thing I'll just tell you about fear, real quick, because you said it. It's First Timothy, I mean First Peter three fifteen. Always be ready for an, with an answer for the faith lies within you, and do so with gentleness and respect. The key is the gentleness and respect part. It's it's being able to give an answer that's not. Like, I'm better than you, I know better than you, you know, I'm smarter than you. And a, a good way to do that apologetically is just asking lots and lots of questions. Because, you know, not that we're selling, but in a way we are. And there's an old adage in sales, and that is if the salesperson says it, it's a lie. And if the customer says it, it's the gospel. So, like, if I come to you and go, you're a Mormon, that's wrong. They're going to be like, uh, you know, they're going to tell me something, right? But if I come to them and I'm like, hey, I was just curious, so how many times have they updated the Book of Mormon, like the actual words in the book? Has it ever been changed? Because it's from an angel, right? Oh, I don't think it's ever been changed. Oh, because somebody said it had been changed. I was just curious. I thought you would know. Then they go look, and they're like, oh, yeah, it was edited here and 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 here. Then now they're just going to start going ding, 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 like... Well, no, uh, probably not. I'm just talking about, I, I'm sorry, yeah, I mean. Uh, My thought jumps to we're establishing relationships with this family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whatever may start to happen, if the mom's trigger goes off, then that relationship's going to be cut, you know. Yeah. So then, I mean, yeah, that would be a hard loss for Abby, and I can walk alongside her with that. And, of course, I've told her, well, please don't just go tell her she's wrong, because then she's going to be like, no, you're wrong, and it's going to be over conversation will stop. So I do know that much. It's just they're young and they're still under their parents' authority. I would just tell her to just flood her with truth. Because the other thing about um, apologetics is what you really want to do is spend 90% of your time studying the authentic thing. 
So like an analogy is the secret service is responsible for counterfeit money, right? Well, they don't ever touch counterfeit bills, almost never. They never see a counterfeit bill in their training, almost never. All they do all day is feel, smell, handle, move real money. Because when they're so familiar with the real thing, if they grab a counterfeit, it's obvious to them. That's got to be us too. And that, that's what I would do with the daughter. I would just have the daughter just be dripping on her with, with truth, you know. To this class, that I realized that I, 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 I used to think that I had to like read somebody to work, and she doesn't. Right. We just we just do it. We just just we just water the suit here and there. It's got to some other people to water the suit, and then well, the cost of friendship maybe, but those each other have. <coughs> she just grieves over it. That's good. I love that about your daughter. Thanks for listening. We pray this has been edifying. If you've enjoyed the show, please give us a shout out on your favorite social media platform. Scott's username on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram is Scott Ross Online. That's Scott Ross Online, all one word. Also, please remember to go to scottrossonline.com to subscribe, catch up on past episodes, and discuss what you've learned with others. Until next time, continue to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. God bless you.